available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout 247 network. I'm Ryan Abraham with uscfootball.com, the USC site on the Scout 247 network, and we are the Podcast of Champions talking Pac-12 football. Really, it was a, I call it streak week, Dave. It was a, a weekend where a couple streaks were extended in the Pac-12 and one was broken. Yeah, it was also the weekend of like everything kind of going according to the way I thought through most of the early-ish games <laughs> yes. and then completely falling apart and being nuts in the final games. Yeah, it was. We'll go through all our picks. I think we were both 3-3, three and three, so kind of a blah. But I started off 3-0 and oh in the morning and then 0-3 oh at night. But um, if you want to get a hold of us, packfullpodcast at gmail.com is our web is our email. Our website is packfullpodcast.com. Very simple. You can tweet us on the Twitter at Pac12Podcast. And if you want to leave a voicemail, 641-715-3900, extension 734-972. That's really long. It's just really long. There's a lot. Yeah, we got to do the Google. I, You know, You know, I think we got a voicemail, didn't we? We did? Oh, I didn't look. We got a, a simple voice box message six days ago. Oh, man. So we're, uh, okay, we'll, we'll have that one. Uh, I'll have to cue that one up for you then. All right, well, cool. We can uh, we can listen to that a little bit later on in the show. Um, but we've got a lot of uh, – I don't know if it was necessarily the most fun week ever in the Pac-12. I think there were some games that we thought might be a little bit better that ended up a little bit worse than we thought. Uh, but there was still a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, interesting stuff, and uh, frankly, a lot of uh, turning of the tables of kind of – the narratives we had started to build um you know we're four games in now and so we've got a little bit more data and uh so we've we've had some movement in our power rankings the all-important podcast of champions yeah you know it's hard i think early when they're playing out of conference games it's like how do you compare and now like if you have one game in conference and you know one team that doesn't look very good beats a team you think is pretty good well they should probably be above them in the rankings right but then you know so there's a lot to kind of play with so i you know, I think these definitely evolve as the year goes on. Uh, but I feel pretty good about where the, the rankings are now, what, where we feel like the strongest teams are from, from how they've looked on the field. Yeah, I completely agree. So, so should we, should we dive right into it? Let's, as they say, let's dive right in with our Pac 12 roundup. Um, okay. So let's see. I think we're going to start, uh, at number 12. That's a good place to start. We start at the bottom and, uh, our number 12 team still. Oregon State Beavers. Mercifully, uh, Oregon State did not play this week, um, so it didn't bring down what was already kind of a ho-hum week. Um, they are going to uh, take on Washington, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, next weekend. Uh, on Saturday, uh, this is going to be a 5 p.m. kick on the Pac-12 Network in Corvallis, Um quick preview of my preview uh oregon state's gonna get killed but we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit more later on all right we'll talk about that one a little bit okay so then we have um 
Coming in at number 11, we have... Arizona Wildcats. And they... I'm, I'm sorry, we got to do both. And they took on... Utah Utes. All right, so Utah came to Tucson, and uh, I think in the in the preview, we had both talked about this one as potentially one where Utah could maybe even run away with it, uh, and they didn't exactly do that. This spread was uh, Utah minus, I think we had it at three and a half, but it was anywhere from three to like four yeah. uh, leading up to the game. Um, Utah did cover, but it was a narrow one. Uh, they won 30 to 24. Uh, I watched every minute of this game, which starting at 1030 Eastern, that that was a decision. I'm not going to say it was a good decision. I'm not going to say it was a bad decision, but it was a decision I made. Um, and it was it was a really really weird game. I think if you're an Arizona fan, you can look at this one and say there were a ton of missed opportunities where Arizona could have won this. Uh, Brandon Dawkins threw a bunch of arm punts in this one um, that just kind of made it difficult for them to come back. Um, but Utah, once Tyler Huntley went down at quarterback, um, he got tackled so hard jammed his elbow right into the turf and it seemed to have you know done something maybe separated his shoulder uh troy williams came in and and i thought troy williams was fine he played fine but they lost they lost something that was like almost essential to their offense that you couldn't quite notice but huntley just brought an electricity to that position that williams just doesn't necessarily have um and even though he ran the ball even a little bit more than huntley did in this game and he threw the ball reasonably well um the, the offense took a I think a, a pretty sizable step back with him at the helm versus Huntley. Um, and that, that was kind of the story of the game. Utah basically kind of had to hold on. Um, and they created some plays. They did some things, but, um, they had to hold on in the, in the late going here. Um, Arizona ran the ball reasonably well on them. Uh, 42 carries for 200 yards. Brandon Dawkins, I mean, he threw three picks. Um, if any one of those doesn't happen, uh, Arizona could have won this game. It was, uh, it was a close one. Um, it was kind of a, a, a crazy deal uh, towards the end of the game. Um, Utah, I, I think it was, um, yeah. So Arizona had Dawkins, and he was uh, he was driving towards the end of the game through a pick. Uh, I don't know. It was it was a it was a weird and wild game. Um, they oh that's what it was. That, this was the one with the onside kick um, where Arizona recovered the onside kick. And then immediately fumbled it on the yeah. next play um, with about uh, two minutes, 41 seconds to go. Um, but they had every opportunity to win this, but uh, Utah kind of did enough to hold on. Yeah, that was a fumble, but it didn't look like a fumble. And then, but review didn't overturn it. The Arizona bench then got a penalty on that. It was just this kind of comedy of errors on the Arizona side. Um, but there were some screw ups too on the Utah side. Uh, you know, Kyle Willingham's kid is their long snapper and he oh, was God. God he awful. was awful. He was terrible. It was like he was snapping for a fake punt every <laughs> single time because he kept hitting the up man. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was bad. Uh, Dawkins had a final interception to seal it. They, Arizona ended up having five turnovers, four of them by Dawkins. But, you know, Arizona had the top running offense in the conference. Uh, Utah had the top, uh, rushing defense. So, um, you know, you kind of felt this was going to be a, you know, big collision there. The, uh, it's funny. Arizona's 0 and 3 in their conference openers against ranked teams since they joined the Pac 10 back in 1978. So they've never oh, opened the conference, uh, with a win. What against, a stat. That's a pretty good one. I think that was, I think I got it on Pac 12 network or something. Thanks. Shout out to Pac 12 network. Even though we make fun of you guys sometimes. Um, All the time. so let's see. Uh, <laughs> in our intro, 
the, so the Utah defense, I thought, brought a lot of good pressure. Um, and I think the Arizona defense at first was kind of backing off, and they gave Tyler Huntley, uh, you know, a little bit more room. It was easier throws. He so was, many cushions. He was yeah. so efficient early on. But then I think they brought up the intensity, and maybe it was more just when Troy Williams came in. But they were pressing a lot more. Williams definitely wasn't as efficient as Huntley was. Um, Utah had a uh, critical fumble late in the, I think it was late in the fourth quarter. It was an awesome, one of those lawnmower rips by the Arizona defense. I thought that was a really good play. But then the Utah defense just forced a three and out and they got a long punt return. So it was just like Arizona would do something good and then do, uh, some bad stuff too. So, um, I don't know. There was like bad snaps, a bunch of turnovers. Uh, one of the, the one of the Utah punt snaps hit the up, hit the up, up man, which was weird. There's just a lot of weird stuff, but. You know, I, I think it was a gutty, gritty kind of win, uh, from Utah. They could have certainly won by more, but Arizona was in this too and they, they could have won it. Yeah. And, you know, I think if you're, if you're giving out a game ball, I think, uh, Utah's punter, Mitch Wishnowski, uh, he needs one because there were two plays in this game. First, um, there was the first bad, uh, snap on the punt where he had to make the tackle, I think, on, uh, God, oh yeah, this? yeah, it was a, like a long, um, yeah, that was. I what, that. Yeah, it was like a long return. I can't remember exactly the circumstances. He had that, and then he also there was one of these snaps that was so errant towards the end of the game that he had to basically dive to his right to field it, and then somehow he still got the punt off. Yeah, that was like um, game but, saving. Like that really. Yeah, was that, that that one was really game saving because it was towards the end of the game. Um, so I think he needs a game ball. Uh, yeah, I mean Utah had had some trouble with Arizona actually in this in their brief series um, while they've, while Utah has been in the PAC 12. So getting this win is a big one for them. Um, and I think if you're Arizona, if you're an Arizona fan, I mean, yeah, your guys shot themselves in the foot, but the offense seems to be clicking a little. Like it seems to be that, you know, you can rely on that running game again, um, that it's, it's in decent enough shape. And I, at this point, I think what you say if you're an Arizona fan, well, it's not going to be as bad as it was last year. This team is going to win a couple of Pac-12 games. Um, now, I don't know who they're going to beat, but they're going to win a couple of Pac-12 games. It's it's out there for them, and you know we'll see if Rich Rod's able to save his job. This game would have been critical for him. I think this one was eminently winnable, and if you win this one and you're 3-1, and one, getting another three wins, getting to bowl eligibility, that's probably enough. Um, but we'll see if they can they can swing that now yeah. so arizona is off this week yeah. so they're on a bye and so is utah and so is utah so isn't that we weird go. isn't that weird that worked out well we, we won't have to talk about utah now yeah. <laughs> um yeah hopefully i haven't heard i got any update on tyler huntley's uh injury but Let's see if there's anything out there on the interwebs um i didn't see it but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. They both have a buy. So this is kind of the weird part where we're like previewing the games or like reviewing the games going in reverse order, but then you got to preview them. Basically, when we get to the highest ranked team of the two, then we that's when we end up previewing the game. So they both have buy, so we don't have to do anything on this one. Woohoo! Nice. Yeah. Uh, um. Okay. So should we move on? Let's do it. Okay. Um. I don't know if you found anything on the, on the injury, but no, nothing. Okay. So uh, our number uh, 10 team was on the road. UCLA Bruins. Late night. So, taking on Stanford Cardinals. 
Remember, I got to do, do two now, Dave. So. Yeah, yeah. No, we're going to get this really smooth <laughs> by about week 10 of the season. Um, I love the – I love. So somebody tweeted at us uh, last week and said something about the disorganization being mind-blowing on the podcast. And, <laughs> you know what? We think it's one of the charms, yeah. really. Um, all right. So UCLA went at Stanford. Uh, this is another game where I stayed up um, – so it's Sunday. We're recording this Sunday. I was up until four in the morning, my time finishing all the stuff from this game. Wow. So that was good. I was excited about that. Um, Stanford uh, beat the P out of UCLA, just beat them raw. Um, this was a really, really weird game if you watched every minute of it. Um, in the early going, it looked like there was no chance either of these teams was going to break like 25 points. Um, and then in the second half, neither team could really stop the other one. Um, well, Stanford was able to stop UCLA, but UCLA really couldn't stop Stanford. Stanford had five second-half drives, and they scored touchdowns on every single one of them. Um, this was this was a comprehensive beatdown. Um, UCLA appears to have cured whatever was ailing the Stanford offense. Um, so they knocked out Keller Christ um, early on in this one. And, uh, I, you know, you, you hate to see that in the whole deal, but... Um, Stanford might have found its quarterback because, you know, they tried out Ryan Burns for a while and clearly he wasn't going to cut it. And then they went to uh, KJ Costello, who both of you and I are pretty familiar with after yes. watching him in the high school circuit in L.A. for years and years. And he came in and looked like Kevin Hogan reincarnate. Um, he was completing passes virtually untouched by the pass rush. Um, and he kind of brought some stability to that Stanford offense. And pretty much from his insertion on, Stanford just rolled. They racked up um, 400 total yards on the ground, 405 to be exact, um, 553 total yards. Um, Costello himself was 13 of 19 for 123 yards and two touchdowns, which is fine. Nothing to get excited about, but if you watch the game, he really managed it well. He never looked in a hurry, never looked like he was pressing, just kind of looked like a competent Stanford quarterback. Again, he kind of looked like a Kevin Hogan. Um, and UCLA, for its part, just can't stop a, can't stop a fart at this point. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty much uh, going to struggle to defend against anybody. Um, you know, we can't say anything definitively about the Stanford offense at this point because the only data points we have of them doing well this year are against a very bad Rice team and a very bad UCLA defense. So... Uh, it remains to be seen if this is, you know, maybe the way the rest of the season goes for Stanford, but they at least appear to be maybe on the right track now. Um, and for UCLA's part, it was uh, just a miserable game. You know, Josh Rosen had one bad quarter, essentially. He uh, kind of struggled in the first quarter, was sailing some balls a little bit, and with the present state of UCLA's football program, that was enough to basically cost UCLA much chance of winning this game. Um, he needs to play pretty much perfectly in every single game if UCLA is going to have a chance and he wasn't perfect and so UCLA had no chance and obviously that's no way to build a sustainable and winning program to require your quarterback to play perfect football for you to actually even have a chance of winning a game but that's the state of UCLA um, and uh, obviously that's not good. So I got to watch this one in a local watering hole uh, in Hermosa and get you know what's I really enjoy being able to text with David, uh, during games and, and we have some fun banter. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I, so I got this one wrong. Dave had this one right. Um, 
the uh it was it was kind of a weird and the the previous game we both got we both were on uh utah and we won that one too that was one of the ones we just really thought the line was bad uh but still was pretty close um but it was so ucla's up 13 to 6 and they're like inside the five and i'm like oh man i got this i'm already up 14 and a half points and they're about to go in and then like you know i'm probably talking to my friends and i turn around and like stanford's about to score and it's still 13 to 6 and i'm like wait what what happened here and they're like oh yeah that got blocked i was like oh man um is that what happened so it was like a block not only that not only that so rosen threw a dart to theo howard in the end zone and theo howard just drops it like not even really contested just drops it um and then they go for the field goal and it gets blocked so they had two opportunities essentially to score in the red zone came up empty and then stanford at that point, Costello had had a, a, a drive to get in rhythm. So this was now his, his, I think was his second drive as the, uh, as the starter or as the, as the playing quarterback. And he drove him right down the field. So he, he ended up, uh, his first eight drives, um, seven touchdowns and a field goal. So he had that one bad drive where they only got a field goal, but you know, yeah, what a bum. <laughs> you put like, that's a, <laughs> That's pretty good. And I feel better when we were talking about like who are the best like backup quarterbacks and stuff. We were, I think it was a question last week and I'd mentioned KJ Costello before Burns, but I just, I, you know, I didn't, you know, I just thought he was a better quarterback. So I kind of liked it. They put Burns in and then, you know, Costello soon afterwards. And obviously he did well. Um, I mean, but Bryce Love was a superstar, 30 carries, 263 yards. Uh, you still did not look all that interested in tackling them, or they just weren't very good at it. Oh, yeah, the, the, <laughs> nobody on this team can tackle. Um, and I mean, they just look so poorly coached. They look so poorly prepared for basically anything. For a team that recruits at the level UCLA does to look this inept on the field, I mean, that's just an indictment of the coaching staff. I mean, if you've got that kind of talent, yeah, either everyone in the world misevaluated every single one of these guys or you're not getting the most out of them, right? And I'm I'm always going to lean more on blame the coaches than the players because I mean frankly, the players aren't paid money to do this, the coaches are. Yeah. Um and I think it's, you know, I think it's ridiculous to blame a bunch of, you know, 19, 20-year-old kids for what uh what these coaches are paid so much money to do. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think they were put in a position to succeed, but I also just, you know, they missed a ton of tackles. They just, uh, this was a horrible game. I mean, horrible for the defense. Um, just uh, from top to bottom, they were awful. Safety play was awful. Linebacker play was awful. Um, and it was, and it was really unwatchable, you know, for a high scoring game really didn't have that like, you know, fun back and forth element to it really at any point. And there were some like really egregious targeting calls on both sides yeah. that looked nothing like targeting. Uh, Darius Pickett had one where he like incidentally hit the guy in the ear because he was dropping the receiver, or I think it was a quarterback actually, was dropping his head as Pickett was coming in. And then Stanford had one that was much the same on the other side with, I think, Elijah Holder. Um, where UCLA's receiver was dipping as the tackle was coming in. And you just, I mean, there's no way to uh, not hit him. I mean, it's just, look, it, it's the sport. And yeah, the head injuries are a huge deal. And I, I don't think anyone is, is not taking it seriously. But I, I either remove tackling altogether and make this two-hand touch and just ruin the game, or they need to reevaluate that rule. Because otherwise, you're just going to end up with, you know, nobody being able to really play because I don't think there's a way for you to play a tackle sport where you're hitting guys as hard as they are, where you're playing at full speed 
and you're not going to have essentially incidental head content contact. And yeah, obviously there are plays where you have spearing and you have guys who are going for the head and that'll happen and that should be penalized. But, um, you know, I, I thought more of, you know, he was talking about this a couple weeks ago, but I think it's a, a fair point. Figuring out something that's like the flagrant one, flagrant two system in basketball, I think that might make a lot of sense for this rule because, you know, both of those fouls, fine, call them 15-yard penalties, whatever. It's incidental, but whatever. That's fine. But kicking guys out of the game for something that's, I mean, clearly an accident, clearly not something anybody was intending to do, it just seems seems foolish. Yeah. Um, hey, one positive, my boy Soso Jamambo, 100 yards rushing he did he did and he had a he had one nice like 49 yard carry to i think it was to open the game or it was in the first you know couple of series for ucla so he was fine ucla just couldn't run the ball after a little while because they got so far down um but yeah. if they had i mean they, they actually ran the ball pretty well against stanford as you might expect because stanford's defense actually isn't that good um but yeah anyway so ucla um will now play another uh 7:30 pacific time kick next saturday which is going to make me want to die um <laughs> colorado is coming to town for a whiteout and this is on espn2 and we will talk about it a little bit more when we get to colorado okay um and then for stanford they're going to uh host arizona state um who we have not talked about yet so i guess we'll should we, or do we talk about that now? Or we, I guess we'll talk about it when we get to Arizona State. Yeah, I think we, we we'll, we'll preview this one when we get to uh, Stanford, essentially, because you know what I'm saying. Yeah, we're going in order of the power rankings. Okay, yeah, because I guess we go. Okay, so yeah, we'll do that. All right, um, yeah. it's a little confusing, yeah. you know. This is awful. I mean, awful. We got to figure out a better system. <laughs> I feel like we had a better system last year, but uh, we have since forgotten it because neither of us have a brain or memory anymore <laughs> and i did just real quick uh i got to you know when i came home from the watering hole and i had a few adult beverages i decided to listen to uh david woods's uh you know, broadcast <laughs> uh it, was, it wasn't that long it was like 20 minutes or something or 25 minutes or something so i listened to that and gave him a shout out on the tweet so i think you got some usc fans that probably listen to it that's great yeah that's great you know help you out a little bit and uh yeah it's awesome yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. Okay, so let's move. Uh, uh, next, we have our uh, – so that was UCLA was number 10. So our number nine team taking a bit of a fall. Oregon Ducks. And they and take, yeah. and they took on. <laughs> Arizona State Sun Devils. Oh, God. We're never going to get this right. Uh, <laughs> By so we, Oregon. you mean you or <laughs> – we need we need a better system. We need a better system, or like you know, just prepare this in like the slightest way. Um, Oregon was a fourteen and a half point favorite, and we were like, yeah, of course they're going to cover. Yeah, of course they're going to cover. They look so good, and they not only didn't cover, they lost to Arizona State, <laughs> thirty-seven to thirty-five. This was one of three Pac-12 games that was more or less concurrent on Saturday night because I this league is terrible at scheduling things um you know asu got out to a really early lead they scored 17 points in the first quarter and it took oregon kind of a little while to get going offensively and it really seemed like that kind of first quarter surge for asu sort of sustained them for the rest of the game 
um, they more or less hung on after that point. Um, and I thought, you know, you've got to give a ton of credit to ASU's defense because they more or less, I think when you, when you limit Oregon to 30 carries for 120 yards, you've essentially shut down Oregon's rushing attack yeah. because that's, that's shut down for them. Uh, Royce Freeman, 15 carries for 81 yards. That's a bad game for him. Uh, Tony Brooks, James, one carry for 10 yards. Taj Griffin, one carry for three yards. I mean, it just wasn't, this wasn't a game where they really ever got in any kind of rushing rhythm. And, you know, it's interesting looking at, like, the way Willie Taggart calls a game or the way, whatever, his staff calls a game versus the way, you know, Chip Kelly or Mark Helfrich calls a game. I think Oregon under those guys might have kept running a little bit more. Um, but this one seemed more like they kind of leaned towards the pass more and more as the game went on. And I don't know that that's necessarily what Oregon can lean on at this point. I think Justin Herbert's great. I think he was very good in this game. Um, but I would have liked to have seen him run it even more in the second half. Um, and then uh, ASU was fine. You know, they yeah. ran the ball uh, not well, but fine. And Manny Wilkins was good again. Um, and, you know, we were about ready to write off ASU for the year, and I still think that they're in a lot of trouble uh, going forward. But this was a nice home win. Um, I, I don't think you can discount it too hard. Um, it was a really nice uh, win to get at home. Um, and, you know, they had to come back. Um, Oregon did take a late lead up 35-34, and then ASU just marched right back down the field, um, kicked a field goal with about two and a half minutes to go, and then had to deal with, Oregon's offense twice and uh and shut them down on downs twice in a row so I think there's a lot of encouragement you can take if you're ASU's defense from this um but they've still got a tough road ahead yeah Manny, I thought Manny Wilkins had a huge game um Arizona State just started off fast which I think if you're a Sun Devil fan it's a little frustrating to see how well uh they can play because they, they just came out like gangbusters they scored I think Oregon scored. They scored again. Then they did an onside kick, sneak attack that worked, and they got a field goal out of that. So really it was like a blitzkrieg kind of thing, like Oregon, you know, doing the old Oregon to Oregon. And, uh, and I agree with you. I thought Oregon could have ran the ball more in the second half. Like they're good. Their passing game is usually guys wide open because you have to respect the run so much. So I think they tried to rely on the pass a little too much. Uh, but there was some bad defensive breakdowns from Oregon's defense, which kind of, you know, what we thought there would be before Arizona state con- converted on a third and 27. It was a 52 yard bomb to Nikhil Harry, which I love. I hate third and 27, like run up the middle or a little dump off, like throw a ball down the field, you know, like you can get a pass interference. You can pick up a first down cheaply somehow. Um, so I like that. And it worked. It was a, uh, it was a beautiful play, but Wilkins ended up with uh 20, 24, 39, 347 yards and a touchdown. He rushed for two more touchdowns. And uh, Harry had seven catches for 170 yards, so that was his career high. Herbert, I mean, he had four total t- TDs too, you know, a bunch of them rushing. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I, I thought Arizona State played well, which, like I said, probably frustrating to know that you can play this well. Um, you know, you didn't look that good against uh, San Diego State. You didn't look that good against New Mexico State. Um, it just, you know, they they looked a lot better. And this was... Uh, so we forgot to mention the previous game. I believe Stanford has 10 straight wins over UCLA. Um, Arizona State had lost 10 straight to Oregon dating back to 2004. So that was one streak in the last uh, segment we talked about continued. This streak ended at 10 games. Yeah. And, 
you know, I think this game kind of maybe t- takes the top off of um, Oregon's potential for this year, or puts a firm top on, I should say. Um, I don't think this is a team that's probably going to compete uh, for the Pac-12 North. Um, this exposed a, a few flaws. Um, I still think it's a, a solid, like, probably 8-4, and four, maybe even 9-3 and three team, but I think there's a little bit more to little bit more work to be done for Willie Taggart and company. Um, and now, uh, this coming week, uh, they will also play at 7.30 Pacific. So I will never be able to pay full attention to an Oregon game because they will play alongside UCLA until the end of time. Um, on Fox Sports 1, uh, Cal is coming to Eugene uh, for what should be a fun showdown. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Yeah, so uh, good one there for so that that should be a really interesting one. Cal going to uh, Eugene, um, Arizona State. Uh, we'd mentioned we'll play uh, at Stanford, um, so we'll talk about that when we get to uh, Stanford. So um, then, so we had Oregon number nine, uh, number eight, Arizona State Sun Devils, who we just talked about, and then uh, yeah. Well, we got to go over the numbers, you know, so it's like this. This makes zero sense. We really need to figure this out. We'll have to figure it out at some point. We're, we're not figuring it out right now. Um, so we'll move on to number seven. Colorado Buffalo. Buffs, Buff Stampede. And they, oh, they, Buff they took on Washington Huskies. This was really bad. Um, yes. So, so this one I watched like so this is the one I had on concurrent with the UCLA Stanford game. Like I had this one on the iPad while I was watching the UCLA Stanford game, and every time I looked down, just something bad was happening for Colorado. They were getting you know just shut out on another drive, just drive after drive after drive. This Washington defense just shutting them down and. You know, Washington. All right, so Washington won thirty-seven to ten, um, and it wasn't even really like an offensive ex- offensive explosion for Washington. I just thought their defense was just so much better than Colorado's offense in this game. Uh, they were just uh, this was this was a. Uh, I, I think it was maybe worse than the uh, the game these two teams played last year. Um, you know, they Colorado actually did a nice job against Jake Browning, but for the first time this year, Washington was able to run the ball. Um, and when they can run the ball and also play defense the way they did, Steven Montez threw no touchdowns and three interceptions, kind of making us look very stupid for saying he's better than Cephalo Fowl. Um, he hasn't had a great start to the year. Um, Colorado wasn't really able to rush the ball either. Um, and it just kind of snowballed. The second half was just all Washington, um, just kept turning turnovers into points and just, yeah, this was, this was ugly. It was an ugly, ugly game. Um, and, you know, I think if you're Colorado, I don't know how much you can take from it, but Washington, I think, um, you know, if you, I had a few doubts about Washington just because of their inability to run the ball against the two FBS opponents that they'd played so far. Um, against Fresno State and against Rutgers, which are not good FBS opponents. But Miles Gaskin going off for 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns in this one is obviously huge. Um, and that answers a lot of those questions. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this was, a, this was a bit of a statement win, I think, for Washington to open up conference play. And I think it sets them up as, 
you know, with the, especially with the way USC has maybe looked a little shaky, uh, sets them up as I think the the conference favorite at this point. Yeah, um, lots of rain just the beginning of this one, and so the the worst news, Dave, besides the not covering that we thought was going to happen, um, Ralphie didn't run. There was too much rain, so yeah. our our buddy Cal Bonagoro was supposed to run like behind Ralphie and uh, get you know, some footage and stuff. Um, he wasn't going to be like one of the handlers, but he would be out there running. Um, I didn't see, he didn't, didn't tweet anything about if he got to run. They had Chip, like the, uh, like the stuffed mascot or whatever it is, like the person mascot. I guess Chip ran. Um, oh, but, that's nice. But I didn't see, uh, I didn't see if Kyle got to run. I don't, I don't think there'd be a lot of fun running behind a person in a suit, but, uh, that was bad. So, <laughs> Colorado was up seven nothing early and uh looked pretty good. Then they get a punt blocked and you and Washington punched it in. And it's just one of those games where you knew you can't make mistakes like that. Um Washington's just too well coached and uh you know, but but yeah, there's some good things. I think Isaiah Oliver, you know, we, we saw he's one of the better cornerbacks in the in the conference and he did a really good job on Dante Pettis. I think he only had like three catches. Um but Montez, like you mentioned, uh he had three interceptions, that's a career high. Uh, he threw for more yards than uh, Jake Browning. He had 171, Browning 160. So if you're a big fan of like the passing game, this wasn't you know the really the game for you. And I guess the disappointing part is that Washington secondary had some injuries. It was it was pretty much depleted, and he still uh, Montez still struggled. You know, um, there wasn't Browning really had no pressure, but he still you know he was only 11 of 21. Um, I thought his numbers could have been better since he really wasn't even touched back there. Uh, but Miles Gaskin had a huge, I mean, they didn't really need him because Gaskin ran for 202 yards and a couple of touchdowns. Um, and this was, uh, I guess another streak, eight game home winning streak for Colorado ended, uh, on this one. And one last little note I had, if you watched two of the, the first, I think it was the first two interceptions from, uh, Colorado, Washington rushed three guys, Dave. They, they put three men against five offensive linemen and another one, it was six. They had like a tight end held back. And they still got pressure and forced Montez to throw it before he wanted to, and they both ended up in picks. So if you can get pressure with just three dudes, obviously the Colorado offensive line had some problems, but that's that's awesome if you're able to do that. That's just so so helps your defense. All those guys back in coverage, they can pick off a bad pass, and that's exactly what Washington did. Yep. And uh so Colorado moves on, uh, as we talked about just a second ago, moves on to take on UCLA uh, on Saturday on ESPN2, 7.30 um, in Pasadena. We don't have a line on this one yet because we're recording on a Sunday. Um, but, you know, I, I, the, the way I'm looking at all UCLA games going forward is um, can UCLA's offense score touchdowns on, say, 80% of drives? Because if they can, then they have a chance of hanging in. Um, because the other team's offense, again, pretty much no matter who that offense is, is probably going to do that at about a 70% clip. Um, so if UCLA can do that, they can win games. If they can't, they're not going to. Colorado's defense is decent. Um, I thought they were decent against Washington. Yeah, they gave up a lot on the ground, but that actually matches up uh, pretty well against UCLA, which doesn't really, you know, show much ability to run the ball. They've been a little bit better in recent weeks, but um, haven't really shown it over the long haul. And uh, their pass defense was really good against Jake Browning. Um, now it comes on the road. Might be a little bit of a disappointing spot for Colorado after a 
you know, they're probably pretty pumped up for the Washington game, so it might be a little bit of a letdown spot. Um, but I'd probably take, you know, I think you, I mean, I, I don't know what the line is going to be. I would imagine UCLA will be favored by something like three or four. Um, I'd probably take Colorado outright. Um, so if it's, if it's UCLA minus three or four, I'm definitely taking the buffs and, uh, we'll see, but I, I'm, I, I think I'm picking Colorado to win regardless. I think I'll, uh, I think I'm going to agree with you on this one. Um, Dave, I don't know, man. I just, uh, I had a lot of faith in UCLA kind of let me down. Colorado obviously let us down too. So these are both kind of let down teams as far as at least what I thought uh, was going to happen, uh, over the weekend. But, um, I like the way the Colorado, you know, defense is playing that they just made some mistakes against a really good Washington team that you just, you can't do. And I, I don't, I don't think you're going to have to play that perfect, uh, against UCLA. So we'll see what the line is. We'll, we'll update the uh, site, but as of now, we'll both be picking Colorado. Yeah. And then, um, Washington, uh, as we talked about is taking on Oregon state and we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was, uh, Colorado. So our number, uh, Six team. California Golden Bears. They took on USC Trojans. All right. So this was um, maybe, aside from Utah, Arizona, probably the most interesting game of the weekend for me um, because we had this one, I think, pegged pretty right when we were talking about it. You know, Cal's sneaky decent. USC is sneaky, you know, maybe not a top five team. Um you know, with all their struggles kind of through the first three weeks of the season. So this set up, you know, USC was favored by 17. It just seemed like a nice spot to take Cal in those points. Um, USC won 30 to 20, but it kind of got a little bit out of hand late. Um, For most of this game, it was really competitive. Um, This was a 13 to 13 game at halftime. And honestly, at a few different junctures, it looked like Cal might take control of the game. Um, They, they looked pretty good. Um, the, the fundamental issue for Cal in this one is that Ross Bowers just kind of lost. Just I, I don't I don't want to say lost his mind late, but just kind of started to force things when he really didn't need to ha- need to. Um, I think Cal's still kind of figuring out its identity. And if you if you were just watching this game and you had no idea who the who the coaches for Cal were or whatever, you would have said. Cal looks like a very strong running team with a very good defense that just needs to manage the game passing the ball. And instead, it seems like they really want to be able to throw the ball at a high clip, um, and they don't want to have to run the ball too much. Um, This game was uh, 52 total passes, but 50 passes for Bowers versus 33 rushes. Um, And it was 33 rushes for 113 yards, but that includes sacks. I thought they actually ran the ball pretty darn well and should have kept running at USC because they were getting a nice push up the middle. Uh, Vic and Wary really inexplicably had eight carries for 44 yards, and then I don't think he touched the ball over the last, like, half of this game. It was just very strange. Um, But I I thought Cal just, you know, Cal's got, there's a lot to like about Cal. Um, they they brought some aggressive defense against USC. Um, they held this offense down pretty darn well. Um, kept him from running all over him. Um, kept Sam Darnold from going off in a big way. Sam Darnold only threw one pick, but he easily could have thrown three. Yeah. Uh, but Cal just kind of lost it late. I, I think it was a lot. Just they're still trying to figure out their philosophy, and I think they just tried to throw the ball too much. I think they need to kind of get. Maybe maybe do some self evaluation and realize what their strength is this year, and maybe work towards what they want to be later on. 
And this was another streak game. I believe it's now 14 straight years that USC's beat Cal. Um, something like that. So quite a bit. Uh, I thought both defenses were the stars, uh, here. I think, you know, Tim DeRuiter and, and Justin Wilcox, they were able to disrupt a lot of what USC wanted to do. Force Darnold. I mean, like you said, could have had more picks than he did. There were some really bad decisions. I think one of, you know, there was only one of his completions that was 10 yards or more downfield. So um, they really limited what he could do down the field. And, and with that, you know, Ronald Jones was out. Uh, I thought Stephen Carr did fine, but like, um, you know, the main running back out, uh, I think that hurt USC a little bit. I thought the offensive line uh, played poorly at times. Some penalties, just some blown assignments, things like that. Uh, but, you know, USC forced six turnovers in the game. So like you said, like if you looked at what Cal was going to do, hey, just don't make mistakes. Just like manage the game. Uh, but the, the USC defense, I think they just, for a redshirt freshman quarterback, they, uh, they did a lot of stuff that, you know, looked one way at, at the snap and then it looked differently when they would run it. And, uh, they played some dime. They were, you know, didn't do much of that yet this year or any of that. So they dropped a lot of guys back into coverage and it just seemed to work. It seemed to confuse Bowers and, uh, led to a bunch of turnovers, especially, uh, late. USA had actually only forced one turnover in their first two games. And they forced ten uh, over the last two. So, um, but you know, Cal the team, Cal plays defense now, Dave. Like they're they're playing some D. Um, Cal outgained USC in this game, so it's uh, it was like you said, close. Uh, you know, till late, and then USC pulled away. It was a, I tweeted this. It was a backdoor backdoor cover. So like USC, I mean, you don't think USC is going to cover a seventeen point spread? Someone said it wasn't a backdoor cover that USC covered. They were up thirty to three, thirty to thirteen, but. It was tied at 13, right? I mean, yeah. you know, so that's why I felt it was kind of a backdoor thing where USC just piled on some points late, put some subs in, and then Cal gets an extra touchdown. So we get our cover. Yeah, no, I, I was very happy with the result. But um, let's let's go through Cal's possessions in the second half because I think this is kind of instructive. Okay. So the first, the first drive of the second half for Cal, um, they drive straight down the field, um, just going just at USC. And they get the ball down to the 12, and then Matt Anderson. So did you watch the the TV angle of his field goal? Yes, I did see that. It looked like it might have been good. Yeah. Like, it looked <laughs> like it – I mean, yeah, okay, it's a tough one to gauge because it's going essentially over the, the, the pole, but it looked good. But anyway, they, they ruled it a miss, um, and it's fine. You know, it was kind of going either way. And then after that, um, Cal turned it over on downs at the USC 42 – then, um, after a USC field goal with one play at the, I think Cal nine, Bowers gets sacked, strip fumble, um, and USC gets it on like the four. Um, they score a touchdown. Then he goes out there and throws a pick on like his second play. Then SC scores another touchdown. Then he goes out there and throws another interception. And this is after like they put together a decent drive again. Like they were, you know, moving a little bit against USC, and then it was a third and nine, and he just kind of throws up another arm punt. Um, and then SC gets the ball again, and then he comes out there again and throws another pick. Um, if at any point, because the the Cal defense was actually holding a little bit, if he's just not out there throwing arm punts, if they were just trying to run the ball maybe, because um, there was still plenty of time left. They were down 10 with like 13 minutes to go in the game. In the Pac-12, that's an eternity. And with the way Cal was able to run the ball, especially early on in this game with Vic and Wary, you know, they, they, they bounced a lot of runs outside where they were getting big chunks of yardage. Um, 
it just it, it felt like the coaching staff kind of mismanaged that game late for Cal. I think they could have kept it closer, but they just kind of. I think they 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 want to be a little bit more of a passing team. It's pretty clear that's the way they want to go. I don't know if Bowers is ready yet to shoulder the load in a fifty plus pass fifty plus pass game um, against a defense as good as USC's. I mean, it's obvious he isn't because he threw four picks or whatever. But um, I just thought. The, the coaching staff didn't put them in the best position late. I, I thought Cal could have kept this closer, could have kept it much more competitive into the fourth if they had decided they were going to be a, 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 you know, an air raid team there at the end. All right. Um, and then should we talk about the uh, upcoming game? Yeah, let's 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 do it. So Cal is uh, is taking on Oregon in Eugene. Um, like we said earlier, this is a 730 kick on Fox Sports 1. Uh, don't have a line on this one yet, and we'll we'll do our official picks when we get the lines and put them up on the uh, on the Pac-12 podcast website. Um, this is a really interesting one because it actually is two contrasting styles. I think Oregon is kind of the all offense, you know, kind of shaky defense, and Cal in this weird new era we're in is more of a you know pretty strong defensive team that's going to do some nice things offensively at times, but isn't necessarily going to light up the scoreboard. Um, I think I like Oregon at home. I think I'd take Oregon up to like a minus seven or so. I think they'll bounce back from ASU. I think Cal's good though. Um, I think, you know, they, they, they should be able to do, um, I mean, they, they shut down USC's rushing attack fairly well. Um, I think they could do something similar to Oregon. I mean, ASU kind of showed the blueprint last, this past week. Um, but I think I would take Oregon. I think at home they're gonna they're gonna bounce back, um, and I think they'll be able to run the ball a little bit against Cal. And I think Cal might have a little bit of a letdown after um, expending what was probably a lot of energy against USC this past week. Yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I'm, I'm curious to see what this line is, but I think probably something where, yeah, up to like a touchdown or so, I would still take uh, Oregon at home. Um, you know, Wilcox, I'm sure had that USC game circled. Uh, the coach that fired him you know, a year and a half or whatever before, a couple of years before that. So yeah, we'll see what the line is. We'll put that up. Like uh, Dave said, um, we'll put it up on the podcast of champions website. All right. And then, uh, and then USC is taking on Washington state on the road in Pullman at seven thirty on ESPN. And we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Um, and then, so the, our number five team in the rankings, Stanford Cardinal. So we can talk about their game now. Yeah, so Stanford, uh, as we said, beat up on UCLA. They might have gotten right. And they're taking on ASU at home at 1 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. Um, so ASU kind of got right a little bit against Oregon, and Stanford very much got right against uh, UCLA. And now we'll get to test whether those are mirages or not. Um, I tend to think Stanford has gotten it together the question for me is whether david shaw recognizes it right whether he recognizes that kj costello is their starting quarterback now um and i don't know the extent of what happened to keller christ whether he's going to be back um but i think this is one of those situations where injury kind of dictated that they maybe found their starter um and they were searching for an answer in the passing game and i think costello might have provided it um, it brought much more balance to the offense, and suddenly they looked a little bit more like the Stanford we expected at the beginning of the year. Now, the defense still isn't great. Um, UCLA was able to move the ball against them 
pretty well. Um, got up almost 600 total yards. Um, ASU's offense has been fine this year, fine to good. Um, so I think this one could be relatively high scoring. I think if, you know, the over-under is set at 60, I would probably take the over. Um, but I think I would, uh, this is kind of like the Oregon Cal game for me. I think I would take Stanford, maybe even more than that. I'd probably take Stanford up to minus 10 at the, in this one. I think they've got, uh, I, I think they might, might be able to get it rolling a little bit now. And obviously, you know, it's hard to take too much from that game. But I think if they stick with Costello, they might be able to get it rolling a little bit. Yeah, I kind of feel like, you know, I've always felt Stanford was going to be a good team. And, you know, I kind of feel like they are now. I feel like they're going to be there. Um, so I will take, I'm going to take Stanford this one too. We'll see what the line is. We'll put all their picks in there. Unless it's something ridiculous, I think I would take Stanford here. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Arizona State, the problem is like, you know, Stanford's run defense has been questionable. Uh, I mean, they give up a hundred yards to, you know, UCLA running back. I don't know. When's the last time that happened for UCLA? If they, if they had a hundred yard running back for a while, it's been, um, they've probably had it a couple of times. Okay. You know, there have been these rare instances, but yeah, but not too much. Yeah. So, but and we've seen Arizona State run the ball really well sometimes and then just to get away from it. But Wilkins is playing really well. Um, I just, I just get a feeling this is going to be a Stanford team that starts to hit its stride and, and do well. So yeah. if you see, like you're at Stanford. Yeah. So if they fall flat on their face, then you can blame us because we still are believing in Stanford. Yep. Um, all right. Cool. So we'll go to our, uh, number four team, Utah Utes. All right, so we already recapped Utah against Arizona, um, and they, you know, did what they needed to do. And now this week, they are on a bye, which could not have come at a better time for them. This gives maybe Tyler Huntley a little bit of time to heal up. If it's a separated throwing shoulder, I mean, I I don't know that any amount of time to heal up is really going to get him right. But um, it's a nice time for a bye just because it'll get Troy. You know, if you were watching the Utah-Arizona game, the way they, they kept doing close-ups of Troy Williams looking over to the sideline for the play every single time, and it gave me the feeling that maybe he's a little rusty um, on just, you know, getting the play in from the sideline and the whole thing. It felt like they were a little slow getting it in a couple of times. There was one play where they got it down to, like, the five-yard line, and they had to call a timeout, or they got a delay of game. I can't remember which, um, because they just didn't get the play going quickly enough because he kept looking over to the sideline for the play. Um they just didn't seem to be playing as fast with him. Um, so maybe this gives them a week to kind of get him ready to go, get him in rhythm, um, and then uh, have him ready for the, the following week's game. Yeah. Um, so we have number four. I don't know. Do you feel that's fair, Dave? Like, you know, they at BYU's pretty good win. They beat up on San Jose State. Uh, if on- Huntley had been healthy in this game and they'd won it by another touchdown, I would have probably pressed for them to be, like, number three. Okay. Um, but Williams kind of... He, he's just not the the player that Huntley is. Um, yeah. I think if 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 Huntley was healthy, I think this team is potentially a contender in the South. But with Williams, I just don't know that the offense has that extra gear. All right. Uh, well, let's we'll jump up. So our number three team, Washington State Cougars. All right. So this was a game I picked horribly. Um, so Washington State had Nevada at home. And every, like, single detail about Nevada should have led me to pick Washington minus literally whatever, but I think it was Washington State minus 28. Um, but instead I picked Nevada for just some stupid reason, and Washington State won 45 to 7. The 7, like, 
so I watched a disturbing amount of this first half, especially. <laughs> um, and the, I did too, the seven, yeah. I'm, I'm shocked Nevada scored seven. They were so inept offensively. Um, and it stands to reason because their head coach is Jay Norvell, who was once an offensive coordinator for Carl Durrell at UCLA. Um, and that was one of the worst offenses I can remember. I think that was that 2007 team that was very bad. Um, they were horrible throwing the ball, horrible rushing the ball. Um, and Washington State's defense is pretty good. Um, and this was just, uh, this was ugly. It was so, 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 so ugly. Yeah. Um, Washington State didn't run the ball, couldn't really run the ball. It didn't matter. Luke Falk just threw it all over the place. It was ugly. Um, not a whole lot else to say, but, uh, Nevada stinks and Washington State is 4 0. Yeah. I saw this one right. I was happy about that. Um, it was 27 and a half we had. So I was like, yeah, they're going to win by at least four touchdowns, but they were up 35 nothing at the half. Washington State didn't punt, uh, in the first half. So that was kind of cool. Um, Falk was, you know, for, so this was his line, 20 of 29, 308 yards, four touchdowns in the first half. You know, so, um, he got his hundredth passing touchdown. So he's third in Pac 12 history, uh, 478 passing yards, five touchdowns. Um, Nevada had only run 35 plays heading into the fourth quarter. So, uh, Washington State picked them off, Nevada off three times. They had five sacks. So it just, you know, we don't have to talk about it too much, but if you, you watch some of the post game stuff, um, Mike Leach wasn't exactly happy how they played in the second half, but they, their theme is like that. We got, we got a week better. He's like, we're a week better. So it's, and you know, I think Luke Fox did the same thing afterwards. So this is some kind of theme that they use and we're trying to get a week better every week. So, uh, but they, they looked like they got a week better. I mean, it was a really weak team they played, but they definitely played better. You know, they got a week better, but we were, <laughs> pretty weak betters this week <laughs> see what nice. I did there? you did well we were three and three it wasn't like awful do you see what i did there i, I did yes i was trying to hopefully people pretty... didn't notice and we could move uh-huh. on <laughs> no it was great that was great um so so what was great about it is like i'm sitting at my computer right and i've got this headset mic attached to my head but i still leaned in like i was like i was telling a really good joke <laughs> but like like the the area of like the, the ratio of my mouth to this mic did not change. So there was no effect of that except <laughs> I was, I was doing that in the comfort of my own home. Uh, anyway, so Washington State is taking on our number two team. Uh, our number two team is USC Trojans. See, I set that up right there. You, you like did. That? Um, Very on nice. Friday at 7.30 p.m., I'm going to stay up and watch this game because, well, I just hate myself. So that'll be two nights in a row that I'll be up till about two, three in the morning watching football. Uh, USC going at Washington State in Pullman on ESPN on Friday. Um, two ranked teams. You know, Washington State is, I don't know if they're 16 now or if they're going to be even a little bit higher, but um, number five versus number 16. This is really, really interesting. So this is a game that everyone um, had circled, I think, from even before the season started as a potential trap game for USC. Now I don't even think of it's necessarily a trap game. I think it's a legit, you know, this is one that USC probably should have had circled as, wow, that's going to be a prove-it game for us. Um, and especially in light of the way, you know, they they scuffled at home against Western Michigan. Um, you know, they beat Stanford, but then they scuffled at home against Texas. And then... Um, had some issues against Cal last this this past week. I think this is a game where they can try to prove it a little bit. Um, and Washington State, I think their defense is pretty good. Um, we're gonna see how you know good Luke Falk can be against a a secondary that's been pretty good at making 
making turnovers in the last couple of games. Um, I have no feel for what the line on this game is going to yeah, be. Yeah, I'm just not sure. Like, is it USC I, I think it'll by be like US five or something? Three or four, something okay. like that. Yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking. And I don't know if I'm – so basically what you're saying if you pick Washington State plus three or plus four, you're saying there's a pretty good chance they win. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, give me the Cougs. Nice. Give me the Cougs. I, I, I haven't liked much. I mean, I think USC, they, they just haven't quite shown it for me yet. They've shown it in bursts, right? You know, they've had moments against Stanford, but, you know, that was a Stanford team that was already kind of getting into the struggle situation they had against San Diego State. Um, I, I just haven't quite seen it um, from them for a consistent enough period, and I think Washington State's playing at a pretty high level. Um, Bill Connolly, who does um, a lot of the you know advanced stats for SB Nation, if if you took out all preseason projections, Washington State looks like a a top ten team right now, and USC kind of doesn't. Um, so, and that's you know obviously it's, it's a small sample size, only four games and different competition for sure. But yeah, I think I like the Cougs. So I have not picked uh, USC to cover one point spread this year, and I've been. Uh, pretty good. Three and one. The only mm-hmm. one they covered was Stanford. Uh, unless it's more than a touchdown, I'm going to take USC in this one. I just feel like this will be one of those games where they bounce back and focus and they, they'll win. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I think unless it's some like line that we just don't expect that's going to be really high. There's um, no way it'll be higher than seven. Okay. I just can't, I, I just can't see it. So I'll pick, uh, USC in this one just by kind of my gut. I don't, I mean, just, Sometimes, like, you see, you watch a team and they're, like, kind of fumbling around and bumbling and stuff, and then they might... I'm not saying they're, like, turning around and they're going to play better, but I just feel like they're going to play better in this game, so... Yeah, um, it's totally on the table. I'm just going to go with what they've done the last few weeks. Yeah, oh, it totally makes sense. Um, Okay, and then we got one uh, last game to preview. So, we, if you've noticed, uh, there's a little shakeup at the top of our power ranking. We dropped USC a spot, and we moved up. Washington Huskies. And obviously we did that on the strength of um, a big road win, a convincing road win over Colorado versus USC, kind of scuffling a little bit against Cal. Um, So Washington now um, on Saturday at 5 p.m. on the Pac-12 network is going to Oregon State. I don't even really want to preview this. I think it's going to be disgusting. I I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think it's going to qualify as abuse. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I think Washington is going to be favored by uh, 28. That much? You think, think so? That, it's going to be by so much, man. Like 24 to 28 would be where my I'm 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 thinking that is going to be, and I'm I'm taking Washington. Okay. I, I I'm taking Washington. Like I'd be like pretty comfortable with the Washington pick up to like minus 34. Like I, I, this this Oregon State team's just bad. They're just bad. Yeah, I mean, it's a road game and everything, and Oregon State had a bye week, and, you know, it's sure. like back-to-back road games. But, yeah, I, I'm just – I really not feel – I don't think I'd sleep well saying, yeah, give me Oregon State in those points. Um, <laughs> what, unless those points are, like, a whole lot, like three digits, then we're – you know. Um, I don't know. We'll see. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be – I think Washington rolls. Um, but we'll get we'll get the lines, and we'll post those up for sure. We'll – I think you guys got a feel for what our picks are. We have a good feel for it, and then we'll see if any of the lines look like kind of ridiculous, and we'll go from there. 
Right. It, we're just going to record on Sundays from now on because I do a lot better picking games when we. No, uh, we can't stop doing that. On um, like Thursday. I, for, yeah, I, forgot to, I, for, I forgot to mention at the top that we are recording on a Sunday. So you get a little early, everybody. Yeah, isn't that great for you? And you can tell by our level of organization that we were well prepared for this. We were, yeah. I mean, we kind of figured that out this morning, or yeah, I think it was this morning or something. Um, I USC actually play, they play on Friday, so we normally record Monday afternoons, and USC is going to practice Monday afternoons now, so I wasn't going to be able to do that. Dave had a work thing too, so we're like, well, let's do it Sunday. Um, I, I don't mind doing Sundays except for the the we lines. Don't lines, yeah. And this is, you know, that's that's our big calling card is how much money you can make. Listening to our dumb ramblings about these yeah. stupid teams. We uh, so I'm still since so we both were three and three. We, our records are you know like um, you know almost the same. Twenty three and eighteen. Dave is uh, ahead of me. I'm nineteen and twenty two. So um, yeah, under five hundred. Which I was really thinking I was going to get back up you know to even this weekend. I thought all my games were good, yeah, but the, the night games did not go the way we thought. Um, should we let's do our the voicemail question, Dave? Let's do it. All right, here we go. Hey guys, Ernesto from Temecula. Just curious, after three weeks, how the Pac-12 has fared over other conferences and wins and losses, and also want to get your take on that number, the wins versus losses. Are you guys surprised? Are you guys feel that the uh, the ratio is correct? Um, let me know what you guys think. Thanks uh, for the podcast. Keep up the great job. All right. Uh, thanks for that. So um, I pulled up uh, some stats for you. Uh, so let's see. So the Pac-12 overall actually has the highest winning percentage against uh, the other Power 5 conferences. So Pac-12 is 6-2. and two. Uh, You know, played fewer games than the other conferences, too. Um, the ACC overall is 5-8. and eight. The Big 12 is 4-6. and six. Uh, The Big 10 is 7-5. and five. Uh, and the SEC is five and six. So only two conferences have a winning record, uh, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. Um, and then you break it down. Uh, the Pac-12 is one and oh against the ACC, one and one against the Big 12, two and one against the Big Ten, and two and oh versus the SEC. So, uh, yeah, so big win. Old Miss was a big win. Uh, and, uh, Texas A&M for UCLA, that was a big win. So those are the two, uh, SEC teams. So that was pretty good. Yeah, and I think it speaks to a willingness for the Pac-12, um, the top teams in this league, to play kind of marquee opponents more than you see from some other leagues. Yeah, so I think that kind of speaks to it. But yeah, pretty good question. Cal, Cal got um, two of those wins. Uh, so I know that's pretty good, huh? <laughs> Cal is the uh, is the banner carrier for yeah. the league. Yeah. Um. So we've got some email questions. You want me to get into yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So this is from Hisliday Almond who I think has uh, asked a few questions in the past. Uh, revenue and recruiting. Uh, last week you got a question asking if Larry Scott would admit that low Pac-12 revenues resulted in poor Pac-12 recruiting and therefore a bad Pac-12 season. You guys properly set aside the typical nonsense about Scott being a double agent trying to destroy the conference from within, but then punted on the interesting part of the question by essentially saying, well, we haven't seen if it'll actually be a bad season yet. I'd like to hear your opinion on what exactly the relationship is between revenue and recruiting. I tend to think that lower Pac-12 revenue compared to the Big Ten and SEC is unavoidable because fans out here just aren't as rabid about football, but it seems to me that all Pac-12 schools are either A, pretty wealthy on their own, or B, getting enough money to meet their realistic recruiting goals, given other limitations like geography, historical success, etc. 
I've always figured that once you reach a certain point where you have good facilities and can identify and go after your targets, revenue beyond that point has severely diminishing returns and is just used as a expletive measuring contest. Um, dick measuring contest. It's fine. Oh. It's fine. We're, we're an adult Can we say that? Here. Can we say that? Okay. Yeah, whatever. Um, as Pac-12 recruiting experts, I'd like your take on whether that impression is true, and if so, whether it is the case that all 12 schools are at or beyond that threshold. Great question. Yeah. Um, so my take on this is there's a few areas where you're spending revenue, right? Um, and I think the two ones that are critical for recruiting, I mean, yeah, you want to have like some private jets or whatever available and some private, you know, ability to get around quickly um you know ucla has used a helicopter in the past i'm sure usc has done similar things use private jets to recruit that sort of thing um but that's not these aren't like huge big ticket items those are things that can be solved with the current level of revenue i think the big things are facilities um because those are multi-million dollar things that you have to invest a ton of money in and um and coaching salaries um because that's partly you're hiring a great coach, but partly you're hiring a great recruiter. And I don't know that it, you know, I mean, uh, salaries are going to continue to inflate. Um, I think Nick Saban's making like $8 million a year now or whatever. Um, but I tend to agree with your position that at, at a certain point, it really is just, you know, who's making more money, like as if that's the goal rather than actually using it for a purpose. Um, I think, I think the Pac-12 network revenue more speaks to, I mean, just from a pure fan enjoyment standpoint, the Pac-12 not being in enough televisions is, is just, it's just stupid for the brand, for the league, for fans of these teams. Um, but from a money perspective, I don't know enough about the ins and outs of a lot of the lower level schools in the league, but I think everyone's making enough money except for Cal, which is bankrupt. Um, <laughs> but pretty much everyone else I think is making enough money to recruit the way they want to recruit. Um, and I think regional recruiting is, uh, I, I think it's just easier to recruit kind of the Pac-12 because you, you know, you make your LA trip and then you recruit locally a little bit. That's, you know, pretty much long and the short of it. But yeah, I don't know. What's your take on this? So, yeah, I think, you know, Dave hit some great points there. Uh, it's not just the coaching salaries though. I mean, the, the support staff, um, you look at the schools that have like enormous support staffs that help recruiting and even a school like USC, they got like a, a couple of guys that kind of help out with recruiting and, you know, Alabama might have like 20, you know I mean? They're, they're spending a lot of money on that. Now it's different. I think recruiting on the West coast, you could talk about the interest. It's harder to get a kid, you know, you get kids that can move from California to Alabama. I mean, that happens, but you know, for the most part, you can keep guys on the West coast and the whole pac 12 can benefit from the talent that is around. And uh, I think it helps. So it's not like, if you make a million less dollars, that means you lose two recruits. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't equate like that. I think there was, because everyone's made more money, it's allowed the Pac-12 to uh, hire coaches. I think it's allowed the Pac-12, a lot of the schools or most of them, if not all of them, have upgraded facilities to a point. But I think the day-to-day stuff, like if you want to have a bigger recruiting staff, uh, bigger support staff that aren't part of the assistants, um, I don't think you're going to be able to afford that. And even though a school is rich, uh, I know USC had like a $6 billion um, uh, fundraising goal that they did over the last like 10 years and they got to it, but that's not money that goes to the athletic department. That's money for the school, you know, cause they, right. only, they only charge 70,000 a year for tuition. So you need to make money other places too, I guess. But you know, besides that, but yeah, so I think it's, um, 
I, I mean, it, the support staff, I think, is really important. And I don't think it's like you said, it's a dollar to recruiting thing. But I think over time, it will hurt the schools because each year the gap is widening. And I get that it's not as passionate of a fan base. But just because of that doesn't mean you have to accept, um, you know, below average returns. And there's been some really bad decisions made by the Pac-12 on the network and having all the regional networks, I think, is one of the bad decisions. And if you want to read John Wilner's latest piece, um, it came out mid last week about Pac-12 network ratings. It's very damning. So the Pac-12 network does not release ratings. They won't tell you. They don't tell the schools what the ratings are and the schools own the network. So they don't even tell their own owners what their ratings are and what John Wilder found out. The reason why most likely is they took last year, um, uh, over a four weekend period of football season, the ratings of the Olympic sports. Cause the whole point of the Pac-12 network is like, we want to get all these Olympic sports on. So we'll do these regional networks and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's pretty much pointless if nobody's watching. So they did 21 of 22 of the segments, which are 15 minute segments in the uh, network ratings world, got a zero share. Uh, it doesn't mean zero people are watching, but what that means is maybe like a couple hundred total. So that's what you're, all this production money that goes into, you spend a ton of money producing all these live events and putting all these sports on there. And literally nobody is watching. The football one did fine. It got like an 11, like a home football game got 11, a out of, um, uh, out of area one got like a three. Like if you just had one network and you had good distribution and you put the stuff that people want to watch on it, the Pac-12 network would be fine, but they want to do all these other sports and literally no one is watching. So it's, yes, I guess, you know, it's not the SEC as far as passion fan bases. There, there will be some kind of discrepancy, but the discrepancy to me is huge getting bigger. And they're making so many bad decisions that it's only going to get worse. And you could, you, it doesn't have to be as bad as, as they're making it as I guess I would say. Yeah. I think that all makes sense. So good question. Good yeah. fun. All right. We've got another email question. Um, Rosen versus Darnold. Uh, hey, Dave, the bearded one, and Ryan, the only Trojan I find likable. How do you compare Rosen to Darnold on a curve? It seems to me USC has a better O-line and a far better rushing attack to take defensive pressure off Darnold, so what Rosen does in comparison with less is more impressive. Am I wrong? Thoughts? Well, you know, Rosen, I thought about this a little bit. Right, Rosen had a 100-yard rusher, and USC didn't have that last, well, last weekend, so I don't know, man. <laughs> It's true. true. It is true. True. Well, well said. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, this is one of I'm so Rosen's playing a lot better this year than I think he played last year, and even played as a freshman. Um, I think even with the picks in the last couple of games, where he's been trying to force it, just because he has to be so, you know, he has to score a touchdown every time he touches the ball for UCLA to even have a chance of winning a football game. Um, but I think Rosen's been special so far this year. Um, Darnold, I think I, the way I've watched. I think pretty much every minute of every USC game so far, same with UCLA. And I would say my take on Darnold is he has a little bit more security because the rest of the team is so good. And so he can take a few more chances um, in the passing game. And so he's doing some things this year that I didn't see from him last year where he's, you know, rolling to his right and he just decides, all right, whatever, I'm going to uncork this one and see if I can see if I can, you know, make an incredible throw here. And, you know, he's throwing more picks because of it. Um, and I don't know it's necessarily a bad thing. If you're trying to make plays downfield and you throw the occasional pick, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think he's throwing too many right now. Um, I think he's up to whatever it is, seven or eight already this year. Um, 
but uh, comparing the two right now, I think it's kind of the same story as it was, you know, last year, which is um, from a college QB standpoint, Darnold with his ability to, you know, manage the pocket and avoid taking hits and keep plays alive and, you know, in the clutch, he just makes plays. Um, he might still have a slight edge, but Rosen's, Rosen's come on in that department this, this year, and I, I still think he's probably the better pro prospect at this point. Um, but it's a close thing. I think it can go either way. Um, I don't think you can make a wrong decision there. I think with the way the NFL is going, I think Darnold might even make a little bit more sense than he would have, say, 10 years ago, um, just because he's got a little bit more of that playmaking ability and NFL offensive lines are getting so much worse that you kind of need to have that ability. Um, I don't know. I could go either way. I could talk myself into it either way. What do you think? Yeah. This this is from G Berg. Good question. I'm glad I'm the only Trojan you find, uh, likable. I thought you said tolerable. Then it's likable. That's good. Well, likable is better. Um, yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, what are you ranking them like in the best college quarterbacks? Are you saying who's going to go first in the draft? I mean, to me, it's like, I mean, when they play each other, it doesn't matter. They're never on the field at the same time. You know, USC's obviously got a better team around them. Um, I mean, you know, are you wait, saying, well, wait, wait, are, are you saying USC's better than UCLA? This <laughs> no, year? no, I don't want to go on. We, we have, we'll preview that in week 11 or whatever it is. But, um, yeah. So, <laughs> but, you know, in this kind of situation, it's like, is it who's going to get more hype for like the high, like, because, you know, Rosen's not winning, you know, they're, you know, Rosen, you would have to be like a really highly ranked team for Rosen to really kind of be considered for the Heisman. That's why Darnold would be on that list. But, um, and I, I think both are, when you talk to like NFL scouts, um, one of the ways they kind of put quarterbacks is sometimes there's guys that are like bakers and sometimes they're like cooks where a baker is more of a follow, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. Which you kind of wanted to see Cal do in that game where just, hey, don't make mistakes. Just follow along with the game plan and don't try to go off script and we'll keep this close. And, um, like a Trent Dilfer was when he was playing with the, you know, the Ravens, they won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. And then Cooks are more like they'll, um, you know, it's not like following directions. It's like you get a little bit of this, a splash of that, and you're really kind of spicing things up on your own. And I actually think both Darnold and Rosen are like that. And that's something that's valued. I mean, they have quarterbacks that are successful that just kind of like are in the system and follow instructions. But I think these guys are both guys. They can go off script and and kind of make things happen. Sometimes you see picks happen. We saw it, you know, this weekend, um, a couple near one, you know, Darnold had one and a couple near ones and Rosen had a couple too. Um, but I think they were trying to make plays and maybe you, you make some bad decisions and do that. So it's hard for me to compare like uh, who's the better like college quarterback. I mean, they're different. They do different things, but I think they're both really good. I think when it comes down to it, both will get drafted like in the top five, you know, and it's like, you know, if, if Darnold goes one and Rosen goes two, um, you know, does that mean, you know, who, it's just like whoever the team's there that they would rather have that guy. I, I, I just don't think it matters all that much. I think to me, they're both really, uh, exceptional quarterbacks. The city of LA is lucky to have, uh, both of them, but it's like, I don't know what are you comparing the number one pick or I don't know, right. you know? Yeah. But it's, uh, I'm sure it's a question we'll keep debating for the next uh, 20 years. Um, all right, so uh, this is from Zach, who uh, emailed us last week. Um, garbage power rankings, he says. That sounds like uh, us. <laughs> Zach from NYC. Wow, what an incredible night for general garbage. It was an eclipse of trash, if you will. 
Our favorite $3.75 million a year gym teacher was at it again. I think he's referring to Jim Mora. But he wasn't alone in incompetence. Oh, no, not on this special night. In honor of the portion of the season where UCLA's players had not yet quit and I still cared, please rank the following from worst to still horrible but not the most garbage. Okay, so from the worst garbage to garbage but not quite as bad garbage. Okay. Okay, we got it? Yeah. (laughs) All right, he says, Jim, G-Y-M, not a typo, Mora's coaching, okay? Rod Gilmore's announcing, okay, strong contender there. Pac-12 officials, very strong contender. Uh, UCLA's defense, obviously, we've talked about that. The targeting rule, uh, Pac-12 officials' ability to interpret said targeting rule. <laughs> uh, Jaleel Wadud's chestiness after, repeating, after repeatedly getting toasted. Sidebar, seriously, how has no one brought this up to him? You can't celebrate after giving up 12 yards per carry. And my decision to continue watching UCLA games that start at 1030 my time. That's a good list, there's, Zach. There's a lot going on here. Um, so, man. I, what do you think is the worst? Like, should we start with the, the, the best, like the least garbagey? The least garbage thing here, I think, is the targeting rule itself. Yeah. Because I think it means well. I think it's being interpreted stupidly. I think it's being called stupidly. I think it's being reviewed stupidly. I don't mind the rule itself. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that one. Um, but I think the Pac-12 officials' ability to interpret that rule, and the there's three of these that have to do with officiating. Um, that's got to be closer to the the heaviest of the garbage, like the the garbage of the garbage. Yeah, and you know he's got one for Pac-12 officials in general, and then their ability to interpret the targeting rule. Um, and so it's basically a question: Is the ability to interpret the targeting rules more garbage than their general behavior? And I don't think so. Yeah, I, think I think their general behavior is garbage. Yes. And I think their ability to interpret said targeting rule is garbage, but it's garbage of a piece. Um, and I think their general state of garbage um, impacts more of the game. So I'm going to put Pac-12 officials near the top of the garbage heap, and I'm going to put interpreting the rule below that, okay. maybe just right below that. Um, the Rod Gilmore okay, so thing, I'm not really like I, I don't nothing that comes to mind. Like I don't know. He's medium garbage. He's he's right in the middle of this. He's not good. He's very bad. But <laughs> I, I, I don't get excited about announcers because you can just mute them. Okay. <laughs> um, so he's okay, like so, he's so be right we, above the targeting rule. Yeah, well, I think he's he's a he's right. Be- yeah, he's above the targeting rule, below their ability to interpret and the Pac-12 officials themselves. Okay. Now we have to get into the UCLA specific stuff, which yes. is trickier for me. So <laughs> I'm going to say, uh, continuing to watch UCLA games that start at 10:30 your time. What I'm going to ask you, and I think it, I think it's more like this: if you are a single dude without children, or you just don't have children. That's not garbage at all. Whatever. It's 10.30 on a Saturday night. What else are you going to be doing? Just get drunk and watch UCLA game. Whatever. Um, so I, I don't think that's garbage. If okay. you've got kids, yeah, it's awful. And if it's like somehow tangentially associated with your job like it is for me, uh, it's, oh, God, it's horrible. But for you, <laughs> I think it's probably fine. You know, I don't think that's too garbage. So I'm going to put that right above the targeting rule, right okay. below Rod Gilmore's announcing in this garbage ranking. I like that. All right. So now we have three more things to deal with here. All right, so we've got UCLA's defense, Jim, G-Y-M, not a typo, Mora's coaching, and Jaleel Wadud's chestiness after repeatedly getting toasted. Um, 
I'm going to say Jaleel Wadud's chestiness after repeatedly getting toasted is less garbage than those other two UCLA-related things, simply because this isn't a UCLA-specific thing. A lot of defensive players on a variety of teams will celebrate after the dumbest things. Yeah. Like after, oh, I just gave up a 20-yard pass, but I hit that guy really hard. Yes. I'm going to I'm gonna celebrate like I just won the Super Bowl. Um, so I, I think you know UCLA fans get excited about it because uh, UCLA's defense is garbage and we'll get to that in a second yeah um i always feel bad for that because like if i ever hit someone like that i'm sure i'd want to celebrate too yeah you know we've never done something like that before but you you have to know what the context is it's like they just gained 20 yards like you probably shouldn't be celebrating yeah so i'm gonna put this below i'm gonna put this above rod gilmore's announcing in the um in the in the garbage rankings i'm gonna put it above watching games at 10 30 above the targeting rule I'm going to put it below the Pac-12 officials, though. Like, I think this is, it's medium garbage. Okay. And now we get to the two things that I think are real contenders for the top spot. Really? Okay. Uh, Morris coaching and the UCLA defense. Um, this team doesn't look prepared. They don't look great out there. Um, the defense in particular looks really bad. If your scheme is such that, um, you require, so they, they lost five guys to the NFL last year right and that's gonna that's gonna your defense is gonna take a hit but if your scheme is such that for it not to be garbage you need to be starting five nfl players uh your scheme might be trash right unless you're coaching at alabama um your your scheme might be might be terrible so uh, these are kind of of a piece for me so i'm gonna put them tied for the top of the garbage heap ucla's defense and more is coaching i think that's a good one i think you know more obviously on the ucla side so i'll uh, trust your your judgment on that one. Um, that's a good, I like that, Zach. Good, good, uh, little frustration. You can tell. Yeah. I like that. You know, more, more, um, we would like that from all of you. Um, all of you <laughs> listeners out there, if you have garbage rankings, you want to do, um, for your particular team and you want us to help you rank them. We're happy to help. Yeah. That's what we do here. We rank garbage. Um, we are, we are not above that. <laughs> Very cool. All right, um, That's it for emails. Yeah. Did we have any, uh, tweets? Let me see. I don't think, so let's take a look real quick. Um, Jay tweeted us. Uh, I, I tweeted out that I was at a bar that I was baffled that uh, UCLA was losing. They were up by seven with a chip shot field goal. And he said that should make for another Pac-12, fun Pac-12 podcast. So thanks for the tweet, Jay. Um, oh, we had one. Uh, so Big Easy 206 says, hey guys, was listening to your last podcast previewing. So he, this is actually a screenshot of a, that he tweeted at us, uh, uh, previewing Washington and Colorado. And Ryan had mentioned that Jake Browning seems to struggle against athletic teams while only being success, successful against lesser teams. I feel this is a common misconception because people only remember how he played versus USC, Colorado in the conference title game and against Alabama games where he had busted. We had a busted throwing shoulder. People conveniently forget that he played well versus Utah. Yes, the numbers weren't spectacular, but he took what the defense gave him. Uh, leaned on the running game, was efficient, making big throws when they needed, not unlike what Sam Darnold did versus Texas, minus the efficiency part. Uh, Browning went healthy, also torched a pretty athletic Stanford team in a big-time game on a big stage. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, no, I mean, but, you know, you look at his numbers against Colorado this year, too. It, it wasn't very good. Um, he threw for 160 yards, and that's, a you know, a good secondary uh, they pretty much shut down Dante Pettis. Um, so, you know, Washington won going away. So it's like he didn't have to do anything spectacular, but it wasn't like 
it, I just, to me, he's just not ranked as high as some of the other quarterbacks. Um, I think he has great coaching staff, better team around him than most, just about anybody. But to me, when he plays those better teams, and we'll see, you know, they're, they're, they're going to win a whole bunch of games. This, they might win them all this, this year. Um, but you know, they'll play a, a better Stanford secondary on the road. Uh, if Stanford's playing a little better, uh, maybe that's a better game. But yeah, he actually, you know, torched them last year. Any thoughts, Dave? Or? Yeah, I think, you know, we probably are suffering from a little bit of confirmation bias because, um, and it's not, I mean, it's confirmation bias to a certain extent, but Jake Browning doesn't have the arm strength that you think of when you even think of, you know, Josh Rosen, when you think of Sam Darnold. Uh, he, he just doesn't have that arm that pops off the screen. And so it stands to reason logically that he's going to struggle against faster, more athletic defenses, right? Because they can get after his throws a little bit more. Um, he tends to kind of loft him a little bit more. But that said, he's great at ball placement, uh, great at putting it, you know, where his receiver can get it, where the defense can't. Um, and he's he's learned to compensate, I think, a little bit for his lack of that really plus arm. Um, but I, I, we're talking about that and results, right? So they didn't play particularly well against USC, or he didn't play particularly well against USC, Colorado, or Bama last year, and Colorado this year. Um, and that 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 kind of jives with what we know about him as a player. You know that he doesn't quite have that arm strength, and that might struggle that he might struggle more against more athletic teams makes sense. Um, and so yeah, he had a busted shoulder, the whole deal. And you know I think we can maybe anticipate him playing better in those games, but um, I think it makes sense that he would he would struggle a little bit more against faster defenses. It just kind of fits the narrative a little bit more about him. Um, but as always, we could be wrong. I mean, we've, yeah. we've been wrong so much, like <laughs> just so much, like a stunning amount of wrongness. It's amazing that we do this and people listen to it. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's, I, I think that's more what it is. It's just kind of, it, it, we've got two, you know, mega data points of Jake Browning against athletic teams. One, we know he doesn't have a very strong arm and we know, that he didn't play particularly well in those games last year. And even with the injury, it just kind of, that fits um, uh, from everything we know about him. So, yeah. Uh, we had a tweet from bow down 79. He said, love the show, but did you just claim Oregon football was a PAC 12 North contender? So this was after last week's show. The D that, no, I have no recollection of this. The D that gave up 35 to Tanner Lee and a bunch of smiley emojis. And then sun spot Johns, uh, he says, make, it's make love, not Warcraft is his, uh, on his Twitter. He said, they are a contender. It's between Washington and Oregon. Stanford is too inconsistent. That's called being a contender dipshit than a bunch of crying, smiling, laughing emoji. I'm, I'm not very emoji literate, so I can't really tell you what they are, but whatever. Those, those kind of things. He's, he's crying, laughing, and the other one was yeah. just laughing. Well, they are not a contender. Um, yes, that was not, uh, yeah, I, the defense isn't as good as it's going to need to be, but they're, you know, they're better. Um, but yeah, after what we saw this past weekend, I do not feel that they are a contender. I think, you know, Stanford, I think is still, um, they're kind of inconsistent, but I think they're getting better. They, they seem to be ramping up. That's just our, that's just my thought. I don't know what you think, Dave. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, but Washington, obviously Washington State's good. Um, you know, the Apple Cup should be pretty awesome this year and, uh, we'll know a lot more this weekend. There's some, some good games. Uh, I think that was about it, Dave. Um, cool. Uh, oh, there's one dog for life. Uh, also with Washington football run offense to some HW and look where they are. He's asking us to do some homework. Oh. He's just, uh, he's saying that 
this is the fact that they couldn't run the ball against friggin' uh, Fresno State and Rutgers is all part of some plan. Oh, okay. So, whatever. Okay. Oh, yeah. He had another tweet, too. Did you just claim more? Okay, so that was, uh, he, he followed up to that one. Okay, that was, uh, yeah. oh, that was the, bo- okay, I'm sorry. That was also bowed down 79. That was a follow up. My bad. I didn't, didn't put the same ones together. All right. Um, well, I think that's, I think that's it for our show. Cool. That was fun. Yeah, it was good. We did, uh, did an hour and a half. Only five games this week coming up. Yeah. So maybe it'll be a little shorter show. Um, and we'll hopefully we'll have lines, but we'll put those up on packedallpodcast.com. But Dave, great stuff. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. All right. That's David Woods. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. We are the podcast of champions. Thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time.